0: Well, I have encountered something in my life that I believe is true of most of us, if not all of us. There have been times in my life as I, as a Christian, as I've tried to live for God, as I've tried to uh, do what God has called me to do and be the person God has called me to be, there are times where I've said things, where I've done things, where I've made decisions that even going into it, I knew, ah, I need to be careful here. I need, maybe I shouldn't do that. And I went through it anyways, and then on the other side of it, I look back and I think, what in the world was I thinking? Have you ever been in those situations? Have you ever made those decisions, or, or you've spoken those words, and you look back on you think, what was I thinking? I saw it coming. I saw what was going to happen. I saw the mess that this was going to be, and I still, I walked right into it. There are times in my life, and I believe, again, this is true of all of us, that, that where we are our own worst enemy, where we do things that undermine our own happiness, our own blessings, our own peace, the, the things that God wants to bring into our life, we make decisions. Oftentimes, we can see it coming. We know what it is going to do. But for whatever we, reason, we continue to walk right smack dab in the middle of things that we ought not do, we ought not say, and I, we, we need to just pause for a moment and, and, and think, why do we do that? Now, I believe that most of humanity understands that struggle. I think most of humanity sees that battle, that war that rages in us. And I even think that most of humanity has come up with various solutions that they think fixes that problem in me and in you and in us. Now, there are over 4,000 different religions all throughout the world, and all of them keep telling us that you need to do this, do this, do this, and do this, and that will fix the problem in you, and that will fix the problem in me. But I'm here to tell you that Christianity stands against all of that and says it's not about you doing more because you can never do enough to fix the true problem in you that keeps causing you to go back to those things that are hurting you and hurting those around you. That it's not about what you do, it's about what Christ has done for you. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That I can't fix me and you can't fix you, but thanks be to God that he will fix each and every one of us because he is just that good, he is just that gracious, and he's just that powerful. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at what this solution is to the problem in me and you, and we call that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and in Protestant Christianity, we, uh, we, we understand the gospel uh, it's founded on and based on these, these five pillars, these five core truths. That we call the sola. Sola is just the Latin word for alone. It's grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, according to scripture alone for the glory of God alone. And that encompasses what the gospel is, at least our understanding of what the gospel is based on our reading and interpretation of scripture is that the gospel, the solution to your problem and my problem, is the free gift of the grace of God that he's bestowed on us. That we accept and we are able to experience that grace through faith. And that faith is not faith in faith or faith in anything that I do or you do. It's faith in a person. It's faith in Christ alone. And that brings us to today as the linchpin of these five solas, Christ is the pinnacle. He is the center of the Christian faith. Everything in the Old Testament looks forward to Christ. Everything in the New Testament looks back on Christ. He is the reason we have gathered here today. And he is the reason that we live our life for the glory of God. Now, as we dive deep into this idea of uh, salvation in Christ alone, I want to speak very uh, um, candidly to two particular um, uh, struggles that we find, two things that we desperately need Christ and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be applied to. The first one is, Christ saves us for an eternal life in heaven with God the Father. Now, oftentimes, that's where we stop as, as, uh, as Christians. We think salvation is all about eternity. Salvation is all about what happens after I die, that when I step out of this life into eternity, it's my, uh, it's my faith in Christ alone that is going to save me when I stand before the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords. And that is absolutely true. But I also want to speak to another thing that oftentimes we overlook. And that is, not only does the gospel save us in eternity, but the gospel also saves us in our day-to-day life here. That it's only in Christ that I am freed from this struggle that I'm constantly facing as I war with who I am versus who Christ would have me to be. And I can't win this daily battle on my own it is only in Christ alone that I'm able to experience the day-to-day victory that God would have for me. And I want to uh, lead us as we come to God's Word to recognize those two important truths, that God's salvation through Christ alone, yes, saves us in eternity. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ and your eternal destiny is uncertain, I hope and I pray that today you will get that right, that you will place your faith in your life and the hands of Jesus Christ and experience in eternity with God. But I also want to remind us as brothers and sisters in Christ, That just as we were saved at the outset of our relationship with God through Christ, through the gospel, we have to live day by day in the gospel. Remind ourselves of the gospel and dwell there. And so what I want us to do as we dive into this, we're going to look in the life of the Apostle Paul as he kind of uh, unpacks this struggle that we face and how Christ is the answer, not only to our eternal destiny, but also to our day-to-day life in Christ alone. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7, and we're going to uh, get into a passage of Scripture that uh, there's a little bit of debate about, and we're going to address that. But the thing I want you to uh, pay close attention to is this is the Apostle Paul. This is the, the man that God used to spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. This is the man that God used to pen most of the New Testament. And here in chapter 7 of his magnum opus, the, the letter to the Christians in Rome, we see that the Apostle Paul uh, peels back the layers of his life and reveals his inner struggle and how Christ is the answer to it all. So we begin in Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, We know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual. Now, some of your translations may render that unspiritual as flesh. Now, what Paul is using, he's using a Greek word that is the word sarx. Now, it can be our physical flesh, our physical body, but I am going to uh, suggest to you today that what Paul is not saying is that our physical body is the problem. You know, throughout church history, throughout uh, um, uh, the the journeys of men and women who've tried to follow God, there have been Christians who have said, you know what, the spiritual is good, the physical is bad. God is going to destroy the physical and he's going to preserve the spiritual. This world is going to burn up, this body is going to burn up, and the problem with humanity is this body. And if I could just, uh, some some of the Christians would beat themselves with sticks and with whips trying to beat their body into submission. Some people would just mutilate their body, hoping that by doing so that they would get rid of the sin that they struggled with. But I want to encourage you to understand that what Paul is getting at is not this physical body. This, This body is not the problem. The problem is the sin that dwells in me. Some translations will render this not flesh, but sinful nature, sinful desires. I think that may be a better translation of it because there is we are infected with this rebellious nature of God. It is not something God created us with. It is something that has been passed down to us. It is something that we have embraced, and it's that that we are warring against. And so Paul is not talking about his body. He's talking about sin, this sinful nature within him. He goes on, he says, sold as a slave to sin. Now pause there for a moment, because this is what trips up a lot of people. And once we uh, uh, reconcile what Paul is getting at here, it will make a little bit more of the rest of this passage make sense. Some people have come to this, and they come to phrases like this in Paul's writings, where he says, sold as a slave to sin. And they say, whoa, hold on, time, time out, wait a Wait a second surely Paul is not talking about himself. Surely Paul is not talking about Christians, because as Christians, we are freed from sin. In Christ Jesus, we are freed from the bondage of sin that was placed on Jesus, and now we walk in that freedom. To which I would say, yes, absolutely. Christ has purchased us from sin. We are free from that sin, but Scripture also attests to the fact that even though Christ has freed me from sin, and if you've placed your faith in Christ, he's freed you from sin, we can at times by our own volition walk back to those very same sins, those very same behaviors, and bring back upon ourselves the chain and the yoke of sin. Now, To make this abundantly clear, I want to just point you to a couple of verses of Scripture. Again, you can just jot these down. I encourage you to look these up at a a later time. One is Galatians 5.1, where Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Again, Romans 6, just a chapter before. Romans 6, 12 says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Again, we have freedom. We have choice. Those who are apart from Christ, they don't have a choice. They are enslaved to sin. They can do nothing pleasing and honorable in the eyes of God because everything they touch is tainted with sin. But here's what Paul wants us to understand here. As Christians, we have been freed from sin, and now as I do things that God has called me to do, even as I stand here and preach before you, God redeems the works that I am doing in him. It's not because all of a sudden I'm a Christian, I can do good works. It's because Christ is now redeeming. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees Christ's righteousness applied to me. And so when God sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness as well if you are in Christ Jesus. But even with that being the truth, Paul says, I am constantly finding this war within me to where even though the law of God, the commands of God, they're spiritual, they speak to my heart, they speak to my life, there is some sinful nature within me. There's this infection within me that just causes me to run back to the bondage and the slavery of sin. Can you sympathize with that? Paul goes on, he says this. Notice what he says in the the very next verse. I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do. He wants to live for God, but that's not what he ends up doing. He says, but I do what I hate. He keeps running back to the very sin, the very habits that he hates to do. And he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Basically what Paul is saying there is, I don't want to do those sinful things. I don't want to say those sinful things. I don't want to go back to that same pattern of life that I've been living. I want to pursue God, but every time I go back to it, I'm recognizing that there's something wrong in me. And that God's law is good because I agree with it. I agree that this is bad, but what is pulling me back into this type of, Of behavior. Why can't I follow God the way I need to? Read God's word, pray, share my faith. Why can't I be more patient, more loving, more generous, like I ought to be? Well, that's what Paul deals with next. Notice what he goes on to say. He goes on in verse seventeen, he says, So now I no longer I am no longer doing it but the sin living in me. Now Underline that, highlight that, because we're going to come back to that in just a second. So is Paul, but just keep that in the back of your mind. Paul's making a distinction here. When I sin, when I stumble, when I fall into those behaviors, it's not me doing it. It's the sin that's living in me. Now hold on to that. He goes on and says this, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh and that sinful nature of me. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it. But it's the sin that lives in me. Now pause there for just a moment. What is Paul getting at? Is Paul basically making an excuse that, well, now that I'm a Christian, I can sin and sin and sin and keep on doing all the things that I want to do, and then I'll just pray and and confess that to Jesus because ultimately it's not me doing it, it's just the sin that's living in me. Is that what Paul is getting at? Now, I think most of us, if we were honest with ourselves, we would recognize that can't at all be what Paul is getting at. And so I think what Paul is trying to draw our attention to is when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the old me died. That is a spiritual truth that maybe isn't always visible on the outside, but when God looks at me, He says, The old Jim is dead and buried. That is why when we baptize, we baptize, and that is to symbolize them going down into the tomb and then rising up with Christ in Christ Jesus. We have died to ourselves. We are now risen to walk a new life through Christ Jesus. The old me is dead and buried. There is a new me that is living. And if you've you've trusted in Jesus Christ, there is a new you that is living. That old sinful you is dead. And you may be sitting there thinking, wait, hold on, wait. It doesn't feel like that old me is dead. Because it seems to keep cropping up day after day. And I keep running back to the same old things. What Paul is getting at here is when you sin, that is the old you. That is not the real you. The real me is in Christ Jesus. The real me is when God looks at me, he doesn't see the sinful gem. He sees the gem that is made new in Christ Jesus. Now, I want that to really sink in for a second, because so often I see me through my day-to-day actions, and, and more to be more specific, my day-to-day failures. But when God looks at me, he sees all that he is creating new within me. I think back to Gideon. What a wonderful story of Gideon when when, uh, the nation of Israel was constantly being besieged by by foreign uh, uh, invaders and they would come in and they would ransack the towns and villages. And Gideon, he was hiding in a little cistern, grinding out uh, and uh, threshing out the grain, hiding from the enemies of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Mighty warrior. And every time I read that, I just kind of chuckle within me. I think, he is not at all a mighty warrior. He is hiding in fear from the enemies of God. And even time after time, when God calls him to to battle against the enemies of Israel, he's giving God test after test, trying to find a way to where maybe God's got his messages crossed. Maybe he's trying to get a hold of someone else. Surely he can't be asking me to do this work. The way Gideon saw himself was not the way that God saw him. And so often the way I see me is not the way God sees me. And I would submit that the way that you see you in your darkest moments, in those moments where you keep slipping up and falling short and you think, man, I should be further along in my journey towards God. I should be past some of these hangups and some of these habits. When you are feeling discouraged and frustrated, I want you to remember that that old sinful part of you, that's dead. The real you, the you that god sees the you that is in Christ Jesus is full of righteousness and goodness not of your own but of Christ Jesus that has been applied to you by grace through faith in Christ alone and that's what paul is getting at he's saying that there, there's there's this war in me and i know the real me that wants to follow god but there's something that keeps dragging me back so then our question is okay that that's great that God sees me in that way, but what do I do about the day-to-day struggle? Well, again, look at what Paul says. He goes on, and he says this. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who desires to do good. That's the real you. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin that is in my members." There's this old nature that keeps wanting to come back and drag us back into chains. And there's this new nature, this new me that is fighting against that old nature. And it happens on a day-to-day basis. And so often as Christians, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand and admit to this, there are so often as Christians, I forget that I cannot win this battle on my own. That even though I am new in Christ Jesus, even though the moment I put my faith in him, I became a new creation in him, there's a tendency within me, and I would suggest that there's a tendency in many of us to begin, even though we've believed in the gospel, to live as though it's in my strength that I follow Christ Jesus day to day. And I'm here to tell you, I was saved by Christ alone, and I live day by day in Christ alone. And if you try to rely on your own strength, you're going to fail time and time again. Thankfully, God still loves you, even in the midst of our failures. Thankfully, as we see in just a little bit, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want you to live in victory, just like your heavenly father wants you to live in victory. And the only way that's possible is if you recognize I am saved in eternity through Christ alone, and I live day by day in Christ alone. There's always going to be battles. There's always going to be new sins and new struggles and new weaknesses that God points out that you need to work on, but that's okay. You are steadily making progress towards what God has called you to be, a son or a daughter of the king. I remember a conversation I had with an individual who was constantly frustrated. He was a new believer, and he had had just a rough life, and he had just been in all the—I mean, you name the sin, he had probably dabbled in it, and and he was struggling. As he came to faith in Christ Jesus, he he came to me, and he would say, Pastor, I am still struggling with this, and I struggle with with cussing. I struggle with drinking. I struggle with this. and I struggle with all these various things, and, and I feel like maybe I'm not saved because if I were saved, I wouldn't be struggling with that. And the question I just asked him, before Christ, did any of that stuff bother you? To which he said, no. I I I would go to the bars. I would would, uh, say the worst kind of language you could think of. I would do all these various things, and I wouldn't even bat an eye. I said, can you do that now? He says, no, I hate it. I I want that to be done away with. That is what Christ is doing in us. We're not perfect Paul, the Apostle Paul, still struggled with this, still wrestled with the sin that was in him. But he recognized that God was creating a new heart and refashioning him into the image of Christ Jesus. And so in the same way, you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, Pastor, if you just knew what I'm struggling with, if you just knew the sin that I keep running back to, you wouldn't say that. And maybe, maybe, I, maybe I wouldn't, but it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what God says. And God says you're righteous, not because of what you do or what you don't do, but because of what Christ has done for you. So rest in that. It's Christ alone. Don't add anything to it, and don't take anything away. Now, as Paul continues to, to peel back the layers of his life and show us this inner struggle that's going on in his heart, I want you to pay close attention to what he does next. It's almost as though this is building up to a, to a, 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 a climax. And then Paul says this in verse 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here, Paul. Looking at the struggle that he had faced time and time again. Some people believe that uh, Paul, by the time he's writing this, is later on in his life, older in his faith. He has lived years following Jesus, and he he still is struggling with his sin nature. And Paul says, Wretched man am I! Who is going to save me from this battle that I'm constantly facing? I can completely sympathize with what Paul is feeling here in this passage. And I would venture to guess that you can probably sympathize that you've gone through seasons of life or maybe you're sitting here today and you're right there with Paul. What or who is going to save me? And then in the very next verse, this is what he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just pause there for a moment and let that soak in for a second. Paul wasn't looking to Caesar. He wasn't looking to any of the other other apostles. He wasn't doing what a lot of people in our culture in our day and time say and and looking at himself and thinking, well, if I just read enough self-help books, if I attend enough counseling or therapy sessions that maybe I can fix myself. He says, no, no, no. I've lived long enough. I've struggled with this enough. And I've realized that the only person who can rescue me is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's only in God that I'm going to have any success, any experience of victory in my day-to-day life is in Christ alone. And so he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God. With my flesh, with that sinful nature, I serve sin. And so we will continue to experience this tug of war, this battle within us. You will continue to struggle as a husband, as a father, in that sinful nature. You will continue to struggle as a wife and as a mother. You will continue to struggle in this Christian life, either until Jesus calls you home or until he comes back. But even in that struggle... We can praise God because we know the end of the story. We know that the war has been won. You know, what's amazing about history is uh, going back uh, to World War II. World War II ended in 1945. I believe it was September of 1945 is when the official uh, declaration of victory for the Allied forces in World War II happened. But what scholars now do, uh, looking back on the events of World War II, they say that the decisive moment that the steered the course of the war and it sealed the Allies' victory didn't happen in 1945. It actually happened in 1944. June of 1944, when D-Day occurred, when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and and began to reclaim Europe, uh, scholars now say that that moment, it was sealed that the Allied forces were going to win. The victory was accomplished. But it would still take months and months of some of the bloodiest battles in World War II for that victory to be made known, to to, uh, uh, develop, and and to to be uh, experienced. And I think in the same way, the victory in our war was already won on Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins, for your sins, past, present, and future, when they were nailed to the cross, laid in the tomb, and Jesus rose again that Easter Sunday, the war was, was won. It was over. But the battle is still raging. So as you're in the thick of it, as you are feeling discouraged, as you have the bruises and wounds of your day-to-day battles, I want you to remember, the war has been won. You're just mopping up the battlefield. The victory has already been given to you in Christ Jesus. And that's why I love in chapter 8, we're just going to look at the first couple of verses in chapter 8, and then we'll put a nice little bow on this. In chapter 8, it says this, Therefore, in light of that, in light of what Jesus has done, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So here's what that means. The war's over. I'm still in some of the battles of life, but even when I trip up, even when I stumble, there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus if you've trusted Christ, when God looks at you, even when you stumble and even when you fall, there's no condemnation because when he sees you, he sees Christ. And so it's only in Christ alone that we have victory. It's only in Christ alone that our eternal destiny is sealed. It's only in Christ alone that my day-to-day battles will ever experience victory. And so if you're a Christian here today, I pray that you would hold on to that truth and preach that gospel truth to you each and every day. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I don't want you to worry about anyone else or anything else. The only thing you need to worry about is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and entering into the greatest relationship you'll ever experience. You know, the great um, hymn writer... John Newton, he spoke about this as well. And as we close things out, I want to just give you a quote from John Newton as he wrestled with his own struggle, much in the same way that Paul did. And this is what he said. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I'm not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is only by God's grace through faith in Christ alone that we are what we are. So in this time of invitation that we're about to go into, I hope that you will just thank God for the grace that he has so richly lavished on each and every one of us. And I hope that as we approach the throne of God together, that we lift his name high for what he has done and what he is going to do in our day-to-day life and in eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your son stepping out of eternity into this broken, sinful world to die for me to die for each and every one of us, Lord. And I believe that you would do it again and again because that is just who you are. But Lord, I thank you that you only had to do it once. And Lord, that it has covered all of our sins. And Lord, we just celebrate that victory in you. And Father, my prayer is that for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would live in it. Father, my prayer is that for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would accept it. And Lord, that you would be lifted high in this moment. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.